Hey everyone, welcome back to our Med Surge Topics podcast. Um, today is a very special topic, one that I love because it is my specialty when I was on the floor, and that is perioperative nursing. So we're talking about pre-op, OR, and PACU, which I have worked in all of them, so I have a lot of knowledge to give. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So as you guys know, perioperative nursing, that is nursing when you work with surgery clients. Um, This can be people who are going for outpatient surgeries in an ambulatory clinic or also inpatient surgery. So there is a wide variety, um, a large scale of the type of patients that you can work in um, that could be going for surgery. It could be something simple, just like say an IND of a wound, incision and drainage. Um, It could be something simple like an ENT up to needing like a fempop or open heart surgery or brain surgery. So there's so much that you can see and learn when working with surgical patients that um, I think is just really cool, especially just getting to see anatomy close up, um, the body parts and being able to assess the patients and if something happens, it happens very quickly, meaning something bad. Um, so it does keep you on your toes. Not like ER, but just enough. Um, but it is considered critical care when you do work in OR and PACU. So you do have to have that extra set of skills in these areas because they are so specialized. So first, let's talk about our types of surgical settings like I just said. The first is an ambulatory setting. When you have an ambulatory setting, this is when you have like an outpatient clinic. You see these a lot with um, like your eye surgeries, people who have glaucoma, they a lot of times go to ambulatory clinics, um, our pain clinics that do the epidural shots and the medial bundle branch block shots um, or the knee injections. They usually do those in the ambulatory clinic, meaning that the patients are coming in just for a very short time. They're usually only getting twilight sedation, meaning that they're not all the way put out if they are put out at all. So that is what our ambulatory clinics do. Um, We only monitor them for about 30 minutes after the surgery and then they go home. Not much post-op pain medication. We're really not looking at continuous telemonitoring because, like I said, they're not getting that much sedation. That could cause complications. Outpatient surgeries, now these are done in hospitals, um, but they still do go home the same day, or at least the plan is for them to go home the same day. These type of surgeries we see with ENT, ear, nose, and throat, like our thyroidectomies, adenoids, also um, tonsils, that's a big one, Um, ORIFs, people who have broken bones that they need the internal fixation, carpal tunnel. These are all type of surgeries that they can come in that morning, have their surgery, and then after close monitoring for some time, they can go home after that, but also under strict um, orders from the doctor. So because they did still have general anesthesia and most likely going home with opioid pain medicine, they won't be able to drive for twenty at least 24 hours. While they're on the opioids, they can't drive at all. Um, we still need to be doing a lot of post-op teaching before they go home. So that way we can prevent any complications. There are a lot more possible complications with outpatient surgery versus ambulatory. And the last one is inpatient surgery. This is when the person either comes into the ER or they come in direct admit or they can come in with as a scheduled surgery but they will just be staying at least one night after the surgery at least 24 hours that's when it's considered inpatient is after 24 hours anything before then is just observation 
um, good to know because it's just different for billing for hospitals. Um, so inpatient, brain surgeries, open heart surgeries, um, hysterectomies is a big one. Uh, what else? Our hip replacements, knee replacements, they usually stay after um, for the most part. Well, these are going to be our more invasive surgery where the patient will need close monitoring afterwards, um, monitoring vital signs, more help with pain management, um, also possibly physical therapy, things of that nature. So the person will just need a lot more support after. So that's why they keep them in the hospital after surgery. Moving on to our phases of our perioperative experience, because there are many things that do need to happen for patients that are going through surgery. First thing is our pre-admission testing. For someone who is already in the hospital, this will happen with the um, med surge nurse that they are on the floor with, and then the doctors will come to the bedside. Otherwise, if you are still out in the community, you will come in for a special visit to do your pre-admission testing and teaching. Um, you'll see these units are either called PAT units or PATT units. And on them, um, the patient a lot of times will sit down with the nurse and the doctor, but usually separate. Um, and during this time, the nurse will get baseline vital signs. They'll also get a comprehensive med list to see what medicines they're taking. So that way, if anything does need to be stopped um, before surgery, the patient will know when to stop it. Um, and what else? They'll also need to get blood drawn so they can make sure that their labs are stable. You, people need to be as healthy as possible before they have surgery. Um, so that way, when we get these labs, if anything is wrong, the doctor can possibly push back the surgery or cancel it altogether if they see that this patient is not healthy enough for it. Um, and they'll do a complete head to toe just so that way they can get, like I said, baseline information on this person. So that way, when they come in for surgery, they'll recheck it and make sure that they are still stable. And then we'll know to what point we're trying to get them back to after surgery. This is what pre-admission testing is for. And it's usually during this time, sometime before the surgery also, where the patient will sit down with the doctor. And during this time, education will be given on the procedure. And with that education, um, you know the doctor does have to tell them the possible outcome, what they're looking for, but also the risks of the surgery. And the doctor also has to give them other options that they could have besides the surgery. And when they do this education, this is usually when they also get our consent forms. Now we know as the nurse, we cannot actually get these consent forms. The doctor has to do this, but it is our job to make sure that the patient does understand the education. And if they don't understand it, we can reinforce it. Or if they just don't get it at all and we see that there's just a big gap there that's when we need to notify the doctor so that way they can come back and educate the patient again um, so it's our job to make sure that they do understand and to make sure that the consent forms are signed this needs to be done before we like for it to be done before they're actually in pre-op the morning up because sometimes it can be rushed if they're sitting there waiting for surgery but now still have to wait for the doctor to come to bedside to discuss everything with them and that's usually when things can kind of go haywire if you're trying to do everything last minute when informed consents are done they must be voluntary the person must be of legal age and mentally capable they have to be alert and oriented and know that patients they are allowed to refuse signature um, so they don't have to give their informed consent if that happens then the doctor needs to regroup and they need to come up with another plan of action if that's the case so moving on from pre-admission testing, that's when we go into our preoperative phase. 
in preoperative phase, that is when the patient is actually coming into the surgical unit or they're transferred from the hospital unit down to surgery. Um, and this is kind of like a holding room where we're keeping the patient to prep them for surgery. If they've came down here um, from the unit, from med surge, usually they'd go ahead and do like what we call the pre-op checklist before they come down. That's what's optimal. And then also they do what we call a Hibiclens bath. The Hibiclens is where they're cleaning, where they're going to have the surgery at with a special kind of soap. And what this does is it um, basically just cleans it really well, gets off all the microbes and things like that. So that way we're decreasing that risk for infection. Um, with that pre-op checklist, we're making sure that their advanced directives are present. We're making sure that their consent forms are signed. We're making sure that if they do possibly need blood, that, that those levels and that information is in their lab. So all their labs are drawn. So it's a checklist that we're just going down one by one to ensure that everything is done before um, they are going to surgery. And then we also need to make sure that they do have a patent IV while they are in pre-op. Usually during this time, after they do talk to that surgeon the last time, and then also anesthesia, we will go ahead and give them something to help them kind of start the anesthesia process and just calm them down because a lot of times people are very nervous. Um, a lot of times we'll give like a small dose of Versteds, you know, just to kind of help calm them down um, or Xanax, something like that. But they do have to have that patent IV. We like a larger gauge because if something happens where they lose a lot of blood in surgery um, and they need a unit or if they need IV fluids, a bolus, then we can give that quickly. During this time, patient also needs to be putting on their gown. They will also put on hair nets. Um, they should not be going into the surgical unit with no, any, no bras, no glasses, no hearing aids, no contacts. They can have on underwear in their gown, but that's it. And then hospital socks. But we don't want to have anything that has um, any metal. And then, like I said, no eyewear, no earwear should be on. Um, dentures, these also need to be taken out for patients. Um, and then also we need to ensure that they have been MPO. They'll learn this in PAT testing, that they need to be MPO eight hours before they come into pre-op. We usually just say after 12 a.m. midnight, they cannot eat anymore. But we do need to ensure that they have not eaten. And then anesthesia will do this again also in pre-op. And this is to make sure that there's nothing in their stomach because that can cause problems when the patient is under anesthesia. Um, and like I said, in pre-op, the surgeon will come to the bedside for the last time to make sure that the patient is ready. They have any last minute questions. Um, if there is a certain side that needs to be marked for their surgery, a lot of times the surgeon will do this at that time. They have um, surgical markers and they will mark the site where that surgery will be and, the, and kind of verify that with the patient so that way they know that they are working on the right site. And then anesthesia will also come to the bedside and explain the process of anesthesia to the patient. So that way they will know what will happen as they're transferred from pre-op back to the operating room. And we know with anesthesia, we have our anesthesiologists who are the doctors. They mostly kind of oversee the anesthesia, but they usually don't work with it directly. They oversee it. And then we have physician assistants and certified registered nurse anesthesiologists and anesthetists. They're the ones that are usually given the medications and monitoring the patients during the procedures. Um, but 
Uh, don't get me wrong, though. Anesthesiologists, those are some of the best doctors you'll ever work with. They are very skilled in what they do. Awesome IV skills. Awesome coding skills. Um, whenever needed, they will jump right into action and help wherever there's a need, especially if a patient does start to go bad during surgery. So usually, um, your anesthesia team is like the go-to people whenever you do have complications during surgery because they are on their game. So from pre-op, um, the OR nurse or the CRNA will come out to pre-op to take the patient back to the OR. You'll see if you ever work in pre-op or PACU, there's like a line that you don't cross to go back to OR because they do have to keep it as clean as possible. That's where you see them wearing the special green scrubs with the hairnet and the shoe covers. You can't go back there if you're not in the proper attire because you will um, basically get the area dirty. So they will come out to get the patient and take them back to the OR. Now, when they do get back there, there are going to be a couple different nurses and a few different people that are in the room with the patient. Um, and the nurse can have one of two different roles, but they will never have both. One is the circulating nurse. The circulating nurse is the one that kind of documents throughout the surgery. We'll make sure that the patient is on the table. We'll help with positioning them. And then from there, we're going to do all the documentation. We'll assist with the timeout of the procedure. This is when you go through patient name, date of birth, surgical procedure, um, the surgeon, what type of anesthesia is supposed to be used, what side that you're working on. You're basically going through all the details of the surgery. Um, and you do this before anesthesia started so that way you can confirm all the details with the surgeon, with the CRNA, and the patient, and everyone needs to confirm. If someone says that they don't confirm to one thing, then you have to start over and kind of regroup and see where the issue is. But that's what we call the timeout. And then from there, the circulator, they're kind of, like I said, they're documented throughout the procedure, start times, stop times, what supplies are being used, patient vital signs, and then like if there's just anything small in the room that's not sterile, we can touch that. And then the other nurse that could be in the room is the scrub nurse. And the scrub nurse is actually scrubbed in sterile with the doctor. They're actually helping to hand them um, different instruments while they're doing surgery, helping to keep the patient in certain positions during surgery, but they are actually scrubbed in and sterile. Um, and if you are a RN first assistant, you can actually help with the surgical procedure by helping with suturing and things of that nature. So that goes in a little bit deeper where you can actually be more hands-on. So there are different roles that the nurse can play in the OR. But like I said, when you are back there, it'll only be one. You won't be the circulator and the scrub nurse. You only do one role. And then, you know, in the room also we have our surgeon. We'll have our CRNA and then also the anesthesiologist is kind of in and out just watching them and making sure everything is okay and then also the scrub tech the scrub tech helps to get the different supplies together they help to clean them in between surgery they can also scrub in and help hand them to the doctor um, and make sure that they are being counted um, and then also they can help with any x-raying if need be so there's also a wide variety of different skills that our scrub techs can do also while we are in the OR um, trying to think what else I can tell you about OR. Our OR is very fun, especially depending on the different surgeries that you see. Usually you'll see when you do go into OR that certain nurses will stay with certain doctors so that way they can get very competent in that area. So I wouldn't be working with um, ortho one day and then urology the next day and then vascular the day after that. No, I'm, I'm always going to stay with vascular. So that way I know up and down vascular patients, what assessments I need to do for them, um, the supplies that my doctor is going to need. So that way it just makes the process more smooth for our 
surgeons and for our patients and just kind of gives that continuity of care while you are back with them. So that is OR. And then after the surgery is done, God willing that the patient is stable, um, that's when they are going to be transferred to the recovery room. They can be transferred, still intubated, or they possibly extubate them. It depends on how alert the patient is. If they are able to breathe on their own, they will go ahead and extubate them and take them out to PACU. Now, when you get to PACU, this is when close monitoring is needed because while you're coming off of anesthesia and then also getting pain medicine to help you know, deal with the pain from surgery, you can have a lot of potential complications. So we will, first thing is we're gonna get a quick report from the nurse and CRNA when they bring them out, what surgery was done, how much blood loss there was, what drugs they got back there, where their surgery site is. We'll check the surgery site with the nurse um, and make sure that the patient is okay. And then from there, I'm going to hook them up to their heart monitor. We're going to do continuous telemonitoring with three leads and then also continuous pulse ox. And then we're going to check vital signs every five minutes times three, then every 15 minutes for the first hour. And then after that, every 30 minutes. So they're going to get vital signs done very, very often. And then as a PACU nurse, we can only take care of two patients at once. And they're on either side of us in one big room. So we're going to be sitting right there in the middle of both of our patients. So if they do start to run VTAC or, or if they do get respiratory depression from having too much pain medicine, we are going to be right there with them during that time. So what is going to be our job as the PACU nurse? Making sure the patient wakes up controlling pain, controlling nausea, um, preventing any complications, whether it be respiratory depression or running a rhythm or hemorrhage. Um, there's so many things that could happen, but we're just gonna be there to prevent any complications and keep that patient stable until they are alert and they are able to then be transferred to the discharge area for education and then transferred home or transferred back to the medical unit. So that's going to be our main job. Know that with PACU that we do give medicine a lot more frequently than on the regular med medical unit. You know on MedSurge you might have an order for morphine or Dilaudid, Q4 hours, Q6 hours. We're not doing that in PACU. I, I'm going to have orders for fentanyl, Dilaudid, morphine, and oxycodone, I can give them up to like every 15 minutes at a time because we need to get that pain under control. But like I said, because we're right there in between both of our one to two patients with monitoring right there in our face, we can do that. So as we start to see respiration start to come down, we know, okay, I need to go a little bit slower on the morphine or the Dilaudid. Um, so you do have to think very quickly when working in PACU. You do have to be ACLS certified, so advanced um, cardiac life support, not just BLS. Um, so that way, if something does happen, we can jump into action very quickly. When you do have a code on surgical units, you don't get the help of rapid response. Because we have the anesthesia team and all these nurses that are certified in ACLS, we are our own rapid response. So you do need to be able to kind of see what's going on very quickly and intervene. So that's our different phases of the perioperative experience. Um, I hope this kind of caught your eye a little bit. So moving on now, so we have a couple more topics to discuss within perioperative care. The next is different surgical classifications that a patient can get and when they are going for surgery. There are um, a lot of reasons why people might get surgery. Not everyone gets surgery to remove something or to fix something. Um, surgery can be diagnostic. 
meaning that the surgeon is only going in to confirm diagnosis. We see this a lot for cancers. Uh, many times you go in to get your biopsy, they go in, take the tissue, close the person right back up, send that tissue to the lab. They're not going in to take out the actual tumor yet. They're just going in just to get that definitive diagnosis. That's a diagnostic surgery. Now, curative, that is when you are going in to actually fix something. So I'm going in to remove the tumor, or I'm going in to fix the knee, or I'm going in to um, IND the wound. That's going to be curative surgery. Repairs, when you are going in to fix something. Cosmetic, we know this is a lot with our, say, breast. Someone that had breast cancer, they had a mastectomy, now they want to get implants. That's going to be cosmetic surgery. Um, or just our other surgeries where they get nose jobs, our BBLs, things like that. That's going to be cosmetic. Palliative, that is when you're having surgery for comfort. And then rehabilitative, that's when you're having surgery to kind of regain independence again. Now, as you can see, a lot of these surgeries, they do kind of overlap. Like, say, hip replacements, knee replacements, that can overlap from curative to repair to rehabilitative. Um, so some of them do overlap and do have different needs when dealing with surgical classifications. So I do believe that is just about everything within... Within this section, yes, I do have just one more. So we've gone through surgery, we've gone through PAT, pre-op, OR, PACU. Um, the last thing now is preparing for discharge. So eventually our patients do have to go home, whether they're going back to a long-term care, they're actually going home home, um, but they do have to be prepared for when they are being discharged from the hospital. And there are a lot of different things that we need to do before that happens. The biggest thing, obviously, is gonna be education. Education, education, education. Um, one is pain management. How to effectively keep pain managed while at home. Now we know that we wanna teach our patients don't wait until it becomes extreme. Um, don't fear addiction. Usually when patients do go home with a prescription for um, narcotics, it's usually just for a limited time. But they do need to be told that it is okay to take it. Don't let yourself sit there and be in pain. But they do need to know to take the pain um, while it's still like mild to moderate, don't wait until it gets severe. But if they are taking opioids, they do need to make sure that they are walking as much as they can, also drinking fluids, eating a well-balanced diet that does include fiber, so that way they are kind of keeping their bowels moving, and also they should not be driving at this time. So if they do have any follow-ups during the time that they are still taking pain medications, then they do need to have someone drive them to their follow-up appointments. Or also if it's orthopedic surgery and even um, a lot of like gynecology, gynecology surgeries, there's a certain time frame that the doctors want you to wait before you drive. So make sure you know how long, make sure you are signed off by your surgeon before you do start driving again. That's another ed big education topic. Um, proper diet as well as activity. Instead of spirometry and also deep breathing, we know that having um, atelectasis um, is a big complication or also possible pneumonia after surgeries. So coughing and deep breathing are also the incentive spirometry to help inflate your lungs as well as move those secretions is going to be important. 
If any mobility aids are needed, such as crutches or a cane, we need to possibly get a PT eval before they leave so that way they can show them how to properly use it to decrease the risk of falls, especially for like our hip replacements and knee replacements. Um, that's the last thing we want them to do is fall and possibly bust that joint out of place because if that happens, then they are going to be going right back to the OR. Also, um, surgical site care, if they do have drains, how to actually drain it, um, how much is too much drainage, what signs and symptoms to look for for infection, as well as possibly changing their surgical dressing. Now, we know after surgery, the surgeon will always change the first dressing. Even if it is an inpatient, you always wait for the surgeon to change the first dressing. Now, as a nurse, I might mark the dressing if I do see that starting to drain, so that way if it does start to drain too much, I have an outline um, and kind of a time frame of how much that drain the drainage is coming out, but we do not change that first dressing. The surgeon must do it unless they give us directions to. Um, and then also when to call the doctor or when to come to the hospital, meaning if you have any potential complications. So whether it be respiratory complications, possible DVT, possible infection, possible hemorrhage, what to look out for, when do I need to just call the doctor or when do I need to come to the ER, all this is going to be important to teach our patients. So I hope that this did give you a little bit of an overview over um, perioperative services. It is a very, I was for me, is a very fun unit to work on. You get to see so much and because it is so specialized it's be like you gain just a skill that you kind of get to hone on and, and be, really become an expert and that's why i really like it um but i do know a lot of nurses do leave the floor to go to or and pack you and things like that because you do have less patients at one time which is really nice you get to kind of see one patient all the way through without having to balance you know so much at one time um but it also does have its downsides in periop you do have to take call which is happening in the middle of the night um we work with the doctors a whole lot more closely so that can kind of you know put a little bit more edge on your job but overall just like with any other nurse and caring for our patients is number one keeping them safe is mainly the biggest thing whenever working in periop um, because patients are in so many hands so you do get report a lot um, so keeping them safe is going to be important. So I hope that this podcast gave you a good overview of perioperative nursing and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.